0: Hello, welcome back. Today we get to talk to Dr. Lisa Costello and Whitney Hatcher. They both work at Ruby Memorial Hospital in Morgantown, West Virginia. We're gonna talk about um, precautions that the hospital has made during the uh, COVID-19 outbreak, how they prepped for a quarantine, what kind of changes you can see at that hospital, and probably a lot of hospitals in uh, in the region. Um, we talk about their volunteer program and the Let's Go Gratitude program that Dr. Costello started. Today's podcast is brought to you by JustTheFreakingRecipe.com. That's a website you can go to if you want just the ingredients and just the preparation and cooking instructions. No backstories, no nonsense, uh, it's definitely a fun website and there's a from time to time you see a smart ass comment added in the instructions, uh, so it's always fun to look for those Easter eggs. We're also brought to you by my company, BrackensPainting.com, residential and commercial cleaning, painting. I was thinking of Daryl there for a second, shout out to Daryl SVG, um, but a residential and commercial painting company. Um, right now we're getting into the outdoor season and we're getting pretty good and booked up. So if you have outdoor work you need done anywhere in Virginia or West Virginia, reach out to us and maybe we can uh, come by and give you a good price. BrackensPainting.com is where you can go to find more information. So uh, we are also sponsored by City National Bank, and their plug will play at the end of the broadcast, which is read by Melissa Knott, my banker. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Let's listen to Lisa and Whitney. Hello and welcome again to Break It Down for Brackens. Today we have Dr. Costello and Whitney Hatcher. They are both in the Charleston area. Uh, Dr. Costello works, and they both work at Ruby, JW Ruby Memorial Hospital. Um, and they're gonna tell us about what things have changed at their hospital in response to COVID-19 or coronavirus or whatever you wanna call it. I personally have not had to be at a hospital, so I really don't know how things have changed. And luckily I've stayed out of them quite often. But uh, Dr. Costello, let's talk with you, start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll move over to you, Whitney.
1: So I am a pediatrician. I care for kids mostly in the hospital, so an inpatient hospitalist, and I do work at JW Ruby. It's actually in Morgantown, West Virginia. I've done all my training at W in Morgantown, and right now I'm actually lending some time with the state health officer and have been for a few weeks, helping with the pandemic response.
0: I've known Whitney since undergrad. Oh, cool. And, um, I love how dumb I look on my podcast. Sometimes I don't always know where people (laughs) even are. So Whitney, tell me about your position.
2: I'm the manager of volunteer services in the gift shop at Rivian Memorial. Um, Work closely with Dr. Costello. Like she said, we've known each other since undergrad and um, I coordinate all volunteer opportunities um, for the community and students uh, who attend West Virginia University. And we have about 600 volunteers a year or so.
0: 600, that's a lot of volunteers. Okay. A lot
2: of volunteers.
0: (laughs) When I was young, like maybe middle school, I volunteered at my local hospital, like pushing carts of supplies around. What kind of volunteer positions are you talking about?
2: So our most popular placement definitely is our NICU cuddlers. Um, That's for um, anyone who's a student or an adult um, to come to the hospital, go to the neonatal intensive care unit and rock babies. So it's definitely the most coveted. We have Normally, now obviously right now we don't have volunteers at the hospital currently, but normally we have about 100 volunteers for that placement, and they come in around the clock, 24-7.
0: Yeah, I I definitely want to learn more about that um, because I can't imagine how a program that's used to having hundreds of volunteers operates without volunteers. Uh, Let's move over to Dr. Costello for a second. Um, Being a pediatrician, how have you seen... um, both the obvious changes since COVID 19 and then the less so obvious. How could, could you describe a few of those for us? Absolutely. So,
1: certainly, this is a time no one's really seen before. This is something new for everyone. We talk about an event like this happening, they happen about every century, but this is for most of us the first time we're dealing with something to this magnitude. And so, within the hospital itself, Our hospital really took action pretty quickly to try to increase our ability to care for what we all hear, like the surge. That's where we would get this huge spike of cases that we would be worried about, that we would be able to care for people that higher number in a short amount of time. And that's why we've been doing all these things for so many times weeks, like stay away from one another, stay at home, social distant, or be physically distant, wash our hands. And so our hospital really started increasing the amount of kind of beds you would need to care for a patient if they would have this virus. So basically to make sure our staff would be able to wear the proper protection or PPE is the big buzzword, this uh, mask, gloves, face shields, gowns. And also making sure it's it's a wild thing, but the airflow of the room needs to be different. It needs to be what we call a negative pressure room. And so um, they brought in these machines and tubing to make rooms that way. So that's kind of how the hospital was changing, basically setting up these what we called COVID units to be able to care for people um, if we had this higher number that came in.
0: Okay. so. I'm envisioning like um, those air tubes, almost like uh temporary air conditioning kind of thing, moving air, so it's not behind the walls anymore. Now it's like, it's out in the hallways and kind of like infrastructure mm-hmm. that's out in the open, like that sort of change in the corridor. Yeah,
1: it, it was pretty similar. We had some rooms like that already, but we wanted and needed more. Um, and so they're basically units that they kind of set up and they have tubing that connects to the central air supply that can then hook it up appropriately so that it's the proper type of airflow um, to keep that patient safe and to keep our other patients safe. Um, So that's one of the ways that that just the system itself was ramping up. But actually, we've been seeing lower numbers of patients in our hospital, at least in West Virginia, um, because we did things like stopped elective procedures and we really tried to reduce how often people were coming to the hospital. So doing televisits, you know, even through platforms like Zoom or any phone calls, ways to connect to try to minimize how many people were coming to the hospital in preparation of would we have a surge. Now that changes over time and it depends upon a lot of things. And as we reintegrate into society or, reduce some of these things we've been doing to reduce the spread of the, the disease. We have to see if if that's going to have an impact on how many people get the disease and how it spreads and if our hospitals, we expect, will probably become busy again.
0: The, um, the lockdown and the quarantine was done in such a way that it seemed so disorganized. It seemed so like the inconvenience and whatnot. And I know that the Eastern Panhandle where I am, we have one of the highest concentrations, like a whole 70, maybe I I could be, I could be wrong, but as our sheriff who keeps us updated all the time, he, uh, he says, be careful with the reopening because the Virginia counties that surround Jefferson County combined have more than the entire state of West Virginia. That's just across a state, a state line. So yeah, something something went down in West Virginia that allowed us to kind of get ahead of things, and I think we're very fortunate. I'm also glad that people in hospitals are forward-thinking enough. I'm sure there's been specialized training, but that's really good to know. What are some other um, changes? Like, I, I've seen the pictures of the face mask and, the, and the, the the regular breathing mask and then the gowns and stuff, but are all of those one-use sort of items, or do they get recycled?
1: So yeah, in a typical time, we usually would use most of those items as a one-time, but as many people have been seeing in all different platforms, um, we've had a reduced number of those because we're going through them so quickly. So there's actually been a lot of new ideas from this created. I mean, there's been things like 3D printing. Um, I had 3D um, face shield printed for me. Um, We've had innovation in basically sanitizing these masks or cleaning them so that they could be used more than one time. And so we still have to determine if that's gonna be a practice long-term, but if, if it's effective and the studies that are happening show that it does work, that it does sanitize um, the mask so that you could use it more than once, it might be something that that could be used moving forward just as a conservation. So we are having to change on the fly um, in some situations, but we try to prepare as best we can. Everyone talks about preparedness, but until you're in it, you obviously have to adapt, you learn and you change. I'm sure Whitney's had to experience that as well in in her role of adapting to do volunteer work of the different ways that that happens.
0: I got sidetracked. I had a great question, darn it. Um, I don't like to talk about, um, I guess, statistics. Like, well, have you seen a lot of kids who've contracted it? Or how come we're not seeing so many people? Because when you put that sort of stuff out there, all of a sudden people think, oh, I can go to Home Depot now. I can go to that birthday party now. I can go to whatever social gathering. Um, I don't even want to put a pin in anything saying, oh, this is why our numbers haven't spiked. Or we ha- or, have we flattened the curve? Those sort of things. Um, but. I guess, I lost my train of thought there, but what would be the most outrageous thing you have seen since this has started? Um, I don't know how to define what outrageous would be, but Dr. Costello, how, you know, what precaution did you not see being needed to be taken that is now being taken?
1: I think it's important that people treat this virus seriously. I think that there's been a lot of Oh, this is nothing And it early on there were a lot of people who were like it's the flu it's this or that um, and this is a new virus we've just seen it for the first time in humans since November December so we're learning a lot about it how it impacts people so you were talking about kids thus far kids to what we can see across the world don't get as sick as older people. Kids can get the virus and we've seen that and unfortunately there have been children who have passed away from it. But when we're talking about like big picture, they haven't been impacted as much or get as severe disease as older people get it. We still don't know why that is and we will probably learn more as time goes on. But I think for me, it's there's a lot of misinformation out there. And we have to try to combat that and learn, and it's tough because we are learning things. And so there's moments of this where we're like, hey, this might work. And then as we study more, we're like, maybe it doesn't impact it as much as we thought it did when we're talking about certain treatments. And then there's other things that we find over time that, wow, that really does make a difference. So now we're really pushing wear a face cloth covering over your face, which is not like Really, into our culture at all. They do that in other cultures, but we have not really adapted that as a culture. And at the beginning of this, we were saying, hey, don't wear a mask because we were trying to save those masks for healthcare workers. And we still are trying to do that. And now we're saying, yeah, everyone should cover their face, whether it's a scarf or a bandana or a sewn mask, or you can even make one out of a shop towel. So I think we just need to continue to appreciate that this virus. Is impactful in certain places it has had significantly more deaths than the flu for the whole year so you know it is impacting lives our livelihood but it is causing people to get really sick and unfortunately to die too
0: okay one more for you dr. Costello and then I want to pivot over to the volunteers and the um, let's go gratitude right I got a buddy who is just it's a sharp dude, but he's really trying to convince me and my friends that this is all just a ruse. And I have no resource to, to tell, you know, I'm not even going to get into it. Forget about it. Let's go into Vaughn. He just aggravates me because he's always like, oh, you know, it's this. You don't have to wear masks. And I'm like, bro, come on.
1: Well, I think I could hit on that just a little bit because I do think there's people out there that are like that. And this is, the sh- this is the tough thing about public health, right? So if we do it right, it should not be as significant as you know all the people flooding the hospitals if we take these aggressive measures. It's kind of like akin to, I talk about vaccination a bunch, I'm a pediatrician, so getting immunized. Like those diseases are still around. We have just gotten better at preventing them. But people, because they can't see it, they're like, oh, like these people don't know what they're talking about. It's like, well, really, these are like decades of science. And we do know that they work and they're effective. And when there's places that don't get vaccinated, we see these diseases come back. So sometimes we're kind of a victim of our own success, right? So because in West Virginia, where we're talking, we've kind of kept our curve flat right now. Um, But that doesn't mean it's going to always be like that if we don't take it seriously. So um, I think that's a struggle in public health sometimes because what we're doing might seem like it's an overreaction, but really, if, if it's being seen as, oh, we didn't see this huge spike, that means that we did the right thing and we made the right. Steps to reduce the spread when we did. And we need to be really careful moving forward to make sure that we keep checking in on how much new disease is coming in, like what you're talking about in the Eastern Panhandle or places that have bordering counties. I mean, West Virginia, we have five, five states that border us. So we can have a lot of movement from other states and that can bring disease into our state. And we gotta keep an eye on that.
0: Well, Dr. Costello, I, I really appreciate you uh, sharing that information with us. Whitney, you two, if I understand correctly, you guys work together on a program called Let's Go Gratitude. And then additionally, you're in charge of the volunteers. Is that how this works?
2: Right. That's how this works. Um, we have many groups in the hospital who come to us and ask for help coordinating a project or coordinating different things. And Dr. Costello actually created and launched the Let's Go Gratitude Program, So I want her to talk about what that is, and then I can talk about how we coordinate with volunteers to help with that. So Lisa, if you want to go ahead and talk about that.
1: Yeah, so as we were talking as a physician, being on the front lines, I've been seeing my colleagues and really my friends respond to this pandemic in really inspiring ways. And when I joined the state health officer in working her, I saw all these people behind the scenes and had kind of an aha moment of saying, what if we had a project to help show our appreciation for these workers, but also could teach students who are out of school about
0: their different helper roles? What would be some of those positions that you're referring to?
1: So things from like a physician, what I am, a nurse, a respiratory therapist, the people who actually run the ventilators that we've been talking about, the breathing machine that people sometimes have to get put on with COVID. To people like food service workers and postal workers and um, pharmacists, really a wide variety of electrician, a wide variety of occupations that really keep things going. I think a lot of an epidemiologist, which people are like, what is that? Those are basically the people who track this disease and where it's going and how many cases are in a certain area that really give us guidance on how we should react or project what type of strategies we need to deploy. Where most people wouldn't even think about them in this role. So we really want to show gratitude to not just, you know, maybe the people typically think of battling the virus, but really it's a team effort. And so, We wanted to do it in a way that we could teach kids about um, what these occupations are and then give children an opportunity to say thank you in a variety of ways. And we know that if you show gratitude or show like you're helping, it actually helps you cope with stress. And so it can be beneficial and make you feel like you're part of the solution. And so we felt it was a great match So I reached out to some colleagues in our education program at West Virginia University and we launched a Let's Go Gratitude project. Let's Go stands for Leveraging Education to Show Gratitude of Occupations. And we want to disseminate or spread these messages that these kids are generating, they're super cute, like people have drawn different pictures or they've made notes and, They've just been really creative, made banners. We have different people making videos and we really needed a group to help us get those messages out to the people on the front lines. And that's where Whitney and her awesome team has really stepped in to serve their community in this way, the hospital and really the broader community. And Whitney's done a great job and I'll let her kind of talk more about what the volunteers have been up to
0: yeah I, I love what you're doing you you found you found this little niche of you found a hole in the system if, if people aren't be, if the people if, if gratitude's not being shown and we're all just tracking on our day-to day jobs and here's the deal maybe the maybe the food service worker isn't even thinking about it. This is how life has been for so long, but all of a sudden they get a handwritten card or a, a video or a shout out or something like that. that does just kind of brighten your right in your spirits. So Whitney, go ahead and tell us what you're doing.
2: Absolutely. So when uh, Dr. Casello approached us about the project, it was perfect timing because as you can imagine, around March 16th, we put a hard stop on volunteers in the hospital. So um, for their safety and also to conserve PPE and things like that, we went ahead and um, reduced our volunteers and and just made them inactive. And so that's really hard whenever you have a group of people who are used to regularly coming into the hospital and serving in some capacity in one of the different, like we have 50 different placement areas at Ruby, and then to just tell them, sorry, you can't come. So we were looking for opportunities. Now, some people were kind of like, okay, this is a good break for me. I want to take time to focus on a couple other things, planting my garden, doing my flowers and things like that but especially for our students, a lot of them need those volunteer hours to apply for professional school or things like that. So the timing was perfect to do um, virtual volunteering is what we're calling it through the Let's Go Gratitude campaign and allowing students a chance to work with Lisa to facilitate these messages, getting out to those frontline workers. And some of that includes you know, translation of the messages in different languages. I think they're doing them in Spanish and French to start. And then also putting them to music and putting them in a PowerPoint or in some type of video fashion where they can all be viewed at once. And so we have about 10 volunteers. We did two different conference calls um, through Zoom, of course, where students and adults could log on, learn about what we needed and what our needs were. Some, of course, figured out this really isn't for me. I don't have the capability of helping with this, but others were like, hey, I have the ability, we had never even thought really about translating the messages, and a couple of them were like, hey, I can translate those messages for you. And so little things like that that um, make a big difference, and so they're in the process of finalizing that in the next week and getting those messages out in a bigger, broader context so they can be disseminated to the masses.
0: Well, that that's really awesome. I'm still kind of flabbergasted that you manage around 600 volunteers.
2: In the course of a year, it's about 600. Um, We do have quite a bit of turnover with our students. Students are required to volunteer for two semesters, and then they kind of rotate in and out, is is kind of how it is. We have about 150-ish adults who are active, and through the course of the summer, a hundred high school students are junior volunteers, which of course they won't be coming to the hospital this summer, but normally in the course of a year, anywhere between you know, 500 to 600 volunteers. Um, at the time when we put a hard stop on everything in uh, March, we had around 250 that were active and currently on the schedule to come volunteer that week. And If I could just add in, I mean, these volunteers
1: are so crucial. Whitney was talking about like the cuddlers who come and hold babies. I can't tell you how often I'm asking, is there a volunteer could come help serve this role like maybe a parent wants to get the run home they have other children and they don't want their child to be left alone and we might need to have a volunteer stay with them and um, from playing activities or creating activities with children to in the adult world being there with someone in some of their toughest times i um, just being physically present with them um, is really impactful. So it's that we've had to be creative and it's tough in this situation because we haven't been able to offer some of those services to keep the volunteers safe, but they do a tremendous work. And I think that was what was neat about this project. Like you were saying, we kind of had to fill a gap and we have to be creative because we talk about social distancing, but we can still be social and we should be like, we need to get through this together but we just need to be physically distant for right now. And so we can still do things to help one another and really brighten our spirits and still support and serve one another. And Whitney's done a great job of doing that across the board in her volunteer
0: group.
2: Thanks, Lisa.
0: The um, podcast I had first thing this morning was with a, um, a market director for a funeral company. And how are they adjusting how they produce funerals? You know, kind of how it's changed over the 20 years, but ultimately, how has social distancing and not being able to go to the funeral home to meet them and to establish that relationship? And they talked about how everything was going virtual in like Facebook Live type of uh, productions. Um, so, I, I, I'm first of all, I'm inspired by these volunteer opportunities. Um, but besides rocking babies, Whitney, what are some other examples of uh, volunteer <laughs> opportunities, whether it's at your hospital or at a different one?
2: Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of opportunities. The one that um, I miss the most right now is our patient mail volunteers. Um, I know that sounds simple, but we have volunteers who come in um, every day normally and deliver the patient mail, but because we don't have them there here right now, I'm going in and delivering the mail twice, two or three times a week. I try to go at least every other day and deliver the patient mail. That way they can get packages from family because of course, as our visitor restrictions have been minimized they get a lot of mail. So we want to make sure that they have that connectivity with the outside through the mail. Um, of course there's opera. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Well, I, I'm just thinking I am not in the hospital. I haven't had anybody in the hospital, so I wasn't even thinking about visitors. So your yeah. family can't even visit you while you're sick. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. Okay. So that is terrible. Um, I assume are people allowed to have laptops in their hospital rooms where they can zoom with their family members and stuff like that? Absolutely. So patient mail, what are, what are just a couple other examples?
2: A couple of the other examples. Um, the emergency department is one of our prominent places, especially for students. They love going to the emergency department and then children's hospital. And I know Lisa talked about that is one of the places people love to go. There's an activity center in children's hospital that they go and they help. Um, clean the toys, sanitize them, and then make sure they're ready for distribution to the children who are in Children's Hospital. Um, we also have, um, I'm also a volunteer for No One Dies Alone, and that's one of the ones I think we're missing out on a lot right now, because even on a normal day, last year we did 49 visits for patients that were in the hospital by themselves, and were unfortunately passing without anyone present. Um, That's one that I really hated to discontinue through this uh, pandemic and definitely one that we've seen um, a gap in care for. Um, We also have pet therapy. I have one of our proud pet therapy animals right here. So that's Dixie. She's one of our volunteer dogs. Um, She's just in the process of finishing her certification. We got her certificate in the mail last week. But we have about 20 um, dogs that come around to the hospital and We'll round on patient units, and that's also very fun. And people really miss having the dogs at the hospital for sure.
0: That's so great. I love what you're doing. That's God, man. And another thing, kind of, I know we're running up on uh, short on time, but you said sanitizing the toys. Like, I mean, I'm an essential business because I'm in construction. So we go out and we do our job, we do our work. But I'm not, and you know, and we wear gloves and masks on the job, and basically no one's working that close to each other anyway. So it's okay but I can't even imagine having to try to clean a hospital hour in and hour out, I can only imagine, for something as, as invasive as, as COVID is. Uh, Dr. Costello and Whitney, what are the last things you wanna share, whether it's about uh, Let's Go Gratitude or, or anything else like that?
1: I think just remembering that we are in this together, it's certainly a uncharted time, but in West virginia we we talk about being West Virginia strong and being resilient as a people and really relying on one another that we're going to get through this together and we're trying to be innovative and we are being innovative in many ways using telephones or virtual meetings and then with our let's go project, trying to allow children who are scared everyone's scared right I mean this is scary when we see stuff on the news or Just uncertainty is scary, but in this way it can give children and really their parents because their parents are serving as teachers or their guardians are serving as teachers a little way to learn and give them kind of a lesson plan and the teachers too. I mean, teachers are doing amazing work. I mean, to still try to educate uh, students in this environment. And so the Let's Go Gratitude Project gives people an opportunity to learn about these helper roles and then show their gratitude and it really makes a huge difference. If I'm having a tough moment, I usually just run across a post on Facebook or social media or I get an email of a submission and it certainly brightens my day. I'll show it to our team if we're having a tough moment and it puts it all back into perspective that we have a lot to look forward to and we have a lot to, to help one another as a community. And that's what Whitney gets to see every day. So we've had Let's Go happen across different places in West Virginia, it took place in Florida, a Florida school picked it up. So we're really just trying to spread the word and share that this opportunity is available for parents to do with their families and um, get involved and really show gratitude to the people that are helping us work through this time together and it's because of great people like Whitney and her dedicated volunteers that step up to a need that make things things happen so google the hashtag let's go gratitude project and check it out wherever you're at listening to this podcast
0: that was awesome Whitney do you plan on topping those final words
2: no, I mean, I can echo everything Dr. Costello said. And, and uh, when you look for the helpers, don't forget that you can also be a helper. That's it.
0: That's great, guys. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
2: Our pleasure, Kevin. Thanks.
1: Thanks for breaking it down with us. This podcast is brought to you by City National Bank in Ransom, West Virginia. I am Melissa Knott and manage both of our Jefferson County locations. Our Charlestown location is located on George Street in Charlestown, and the Ransom location is located in the Potomac Marketplace Shopping Center. City National Bank is a full-service community bank that provides an array of financial services. We offer a range of free checking accounts and savings products for both consumer and business customers. City National Bank offers competitive low-rate and low-cost lending products for both business and personal needs. Come and talk to me or one of my team members and get products and services that are tailored to fit your schedule and help you to achieve your financial goals. I can be reached at both the Ransom and Charlestown locations. Check out our website at www.bankatcity.com.
0: Today's intro song is called Mean in a Good Way. It's written and performed by Peter Clark off of his album, Peter Clark After Dark. Peter <laughs> Peter describes this song as being the best song to learn hula hooping to. Peter is an avid hooper and recently started a hula hoop repair business. If you ever need hula hoop repair, consider contacting Peter. You can reach him on SoundCloud. Just search Peter Clark After Dark.